is an Odyssey original. This is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman today. Production stopped in Hollywood. The writer's strike has begun. How long will this one last? We go in-depth. USC doctors are looking to make some medical history, and it's with a it's with a body part that you don't think about very often. And when you do think about it, you don't like it. Also, we're going to talk to a couple whose quirky marriage has made them famous in the world of social media. If you stay for anything, stay for the body parts. Yeah. But we are going to start with the Hollywood writer strike. Dan Stone is an entertainment and media attorney here in L.A., Dan, the writers are headed to the picket lines as we speak. You heard our reporters stationed at various sites where they are expected to show up. What now? What's next? Hey, first of all, good afternoon. It's good to be with you. Um, I I think you pretty much have it right in your reporting. People are going to start to picket now, and there is probably going to be ongoing negotiations between the writers and the studios to try to find a solution to this. But in the meantime, the writers, uh, both on the East Coast and the West Coast, are on strike. And that is going to begin to slow down production of scripted shows. So the last one lasted a long time. uh, And it appears from the reporting that we've heard that they're kind of far apart. So how long is this strike expected to last? Is it going to be a long one or a short one? I think that's always difficult and strikes are unpredictable uh, for that reason. I think some people I've heard various reports, and I think at this point it's all rumors. Some people think it will be short. Some people think it will be longer. But it really is how long it goes on between the negotiators in the room and how long it is until they can find an agreement that's, um, you know, not so painful, but painful enough for both of them. You know, since the strike was announced, we've been hearing in the media and all kinds of media, print, radio, TV, what some of the major sticking points are. We've talked about it in length about their concerns about AI and being replaced with AI. They're concerned, of course, about pay and number of writers. But there's another issue that is really a big sticking point. And the writers feel that these companies have created a gig economy inside of a union workforce. Can you talk about that and how that would be detrimental to the writers? Yeah, so, you know, I don't know uh, specifically. I I understand there's rhetoric on both sides, but I think ultimately what a lot of this uh, comes down to is over the past decade, there's been a real transition from traditional network shows and even uh, basic cable shows to the new streaming model. So if you look at an older show like Cheers, or even a more recent show like Modern Family, those were shows that ran for 22 episodes a season. And if you spoke with someone who was a writer for those shows, they spent most of their year writing for Cheers or Modern Family. Now, a lot of streaming shows are fewer than 10 episodes. So if you think of a show like The Queen's Gambit, for example, um, you know that was seven episodes, and there were only, I believe, two writers who worked on that show as opposed to sometimes upwards of 10 writers who worked on an old network show. So the business in that respect has changed. There are a lot of writers who are working for shorter periods of time on shorter duration shows. And some of those writers aren't working um, for the entirety of the show. The flip side is that the, you know, the cost of production has gone up substantially as has the cost of living. 
And there's a lot of cost pressure on the studio and production side as well. Um, one thing that neither side is really talking about is that the cost of production went up a lot because of COVID and because of safety protocols on set. So it's been very expensive to produce for almost all producers over the past couple of years. All right, uh, Dan Stone, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate it, Dan. By the way, uh, we've got statements from both sides here before before we go to the break. The Writers Guild says the company's behavior has created a gig economy inside a union workforce and their immovable stance in this negotiation has betrayed a commitment to further devaluing the profession of writing. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers says in a statement it presented a comprehensive package proposal to the Guild last night, which included generous increases in compensation for writers as well as improvements in streaming residuals. It says it's still open to talking to the Guild to reach a deal. But right now, the impact of a drawn-out Hollywood writer strike will have ripple effects across the entertainment industry and Southern California in general. Greg Bilson is president of the ISS Group, which provides props to production sets. And Alex Medina is with the L.A. County Economic Development Corporation. Alex, I'm going to start with you. This is our industry here in L.A., specific to Southern California. The ripple effect is going to watch over so many industries. We're talking production, post-production, suppliers of data, storage, recording, food services, the list goes on. When you peel back all these layers, do you truly get a good picture of the potential economic impact? Uh, I think we do, and thank you for uh, asking us to join. Um, so the most recent uh, strike in 2007 and 2008, we were able to do an economic analysis of the impact that strike had. Uh, it roughly cost our local economy about more than $3 billion, billion with a B. Um, and of that, there was a, definitely a ripple effect throughout our consumers not spending as much at retail shops and at car dealerships, at restaurants. And that was roughly $1.3 billion of that impact, so roughly 40%. Um, and then if we trickle down further, or trickle up, I should say, into those support industries, that was roughly 30% of that $3 billion economic impact. And those are people in the supply chain, such as caterers and equipment rental houses. And, uh, Greg, as I recall from the last strike 15 years ago, uh, in the run-up to it, producers banked a lot of scripts. They, they, they sped up like script writing so they could have some scripts in the can, if you will, and ready to go. Or if production shut down, they'd have the scripts ready to go right away as soon as they ramped production back up. And, and in some cases, they, did, uh, they sped up other productions to get them filmed and done before the writer's strike took hold. In this case, as I understand it, some productions slowed everything down. Uh, waiting for this strike to begin. Now, that affects people like you who provides props. When production gets shut down, you don't have work, and all this ripples out to you, too. How uh, How is this going to affect you? Well, it's it's not a positive effect, for sure. Whenever production is cut back, either locally or globally, it has an impact on our companies. We have about 200 employees. We're already making cutbacks with regard to overtime, hours, even some personnel. So it's been considerably slower than normal leading up to a potential strike. And now that the strike is hit, that's only going to get worse as time goes on. Alex, uh, you just talked about the number. You had a, a set number on how uh, the last strike affected L.A. County, and the number was in the billions. Do you have numbers on how many businesses that were directly and indirectly affected went out of business? Because of the strike? 
Uh, we do not have those numbers available for us. Like I said, this was uh, 15 years ago. So some of those data points don't actually uh, hold true anymore. Um, obviously, we don't want to see businesses uh, go out or close their doors and shutter. Um, but we don't have that exact number of the number of businesses that were forced to close because of the last strike. And and Greg, uh, uh, like the writers or no, the strike is going to hurt you. Uh, if it goes for a long time, it's certainly going to hurt worse. But even if it's a short-term strike, if they get this resolved quickly, you're still going to suffer from this, aren't you? Even just a short break. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was gone. Yeah, this is already having an impact on us. It's uh, it, it won't be good short-term or long-term. Okay, so were you part of... Uh, the last strike were, was your business around during the last strike and uh, you know the news leading up to a potential strike were you prepared financially or in any other way uh, to weather a storm well you're never completely prepared uh, we've been around for 45 years so yes it had a significant impact on us but I've always prepared for the worst and hoped for the best and that's all we can do there's only so many things that are within our control this writer's strike, unfortunately, impacts us, but we have very little control. We're very reactionary at this point. And Alex, I know that a lot of work and effort has gone into making sure that productions stay in Southern California, in Hollywood, uh, because a lot of productions left town to find cheaper pastures. Uh, with this writer's strike, it's going to cost a lot of people some money, and, and some productions are going to lose some money from this as well. When production ramps back up, when the writer's strike is resolved... Are you concerned that these productions will once again feel like they have to go out of state to cheaper places to get their productions done because they're they're trying to save money? Uh, that's always a concern. Um, however, I think part of the reason it's not just to save money, but also because of the capacity that we have here in Southern California to actually film. Um, so at any given moment, our sound stages are 98% full. Um, so obviously we want people to be have, we want supply chains to keep moving, to keep building those. And like Greg was saying, this is one of those industries that's going to be slightly impacted by any close downs because they won't be needing to build sound stages for any time soon. So they don't see the investment. Um, but we, obviously we want a, a quick resolution to this. So our economy doesn't falter and doesn't reach any, anywhere close to that $3 billion we hit 15 years ago. All right. Thank you so much. That was uh, Alex Medina with the LA County Economic Development Corporation. We also had on with us uh, Greg Bilton, president of the ISS Group. They provide props to production sets. Coming up, we're going to talk to two social media stars about how they were able to turn their marriage into a fun and entertaining <laughs> reality show of sorts. You know, you've got to be fun and funny right, to right. begin with, yeah. right? Any marriage can do it, right? <laughs> right. We'll find out. Uh, right now, though, uh, doctors at Keck Medicine of USC are starting work on what would be or could be the first ever bladder transplant in a human being. Here to explain how this could work is Dr. Uh, Nima Nasiri, a urologic surgeon and researcher with the Keg School of Medicine at uh, USC. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. How are you guys? So why would somebody need a bladder transplant? Well, bladder pathology is something that can develop for a lot of reasons. It can develop, for instance, in someone who's diabetic. It can develop for someone who has something called outlet obstruction when the urine can't come out. And so it's kind of like a traffic jam of the genitourinary system. And so when you do get that traffic jam, it can affect the kidneys. They can go into kidney failure and it can cause a lot of 
bad things like infections and stones. So when the bladder fails, other organs can fail. And so in order to repair that system, transplant could be a potential option. So, so that's what we're investigating. So, doctor, the focus right now is making sure the bladder transplant is successful with this technique. If it is, what does that mean for people who need transplants for other organs in the future if this is successful? Well, that's a great question. The people who need a transplant currently because their bladders have failed are people who need a kidney transplant. And so this could be a potential avenue and, or another therapy for people with kidney failure, ultimately that results from their bladder. So they could get potentially a kidney and a bladder and replace the entire upper tract of the genitourinary system and their bladder as well. So we're talking about, uh, first off, a bladder transplant. So that's a bladder from, from one person donating a bladder to another. Uh, at what point will we be talking about uh, artificial bladders that you'd be able to create an organ that can be uh, transplanted into a person? Yeah, you know, that's something that's actually been in the works for a long time. Unfortunately, none of them have been successful, which is why we turned to transplant. Um, you know, I think people have been trying to recreate kidneys and artificial hearts and other organs for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't de delivered uh, as much as we'd like. But transplant, ever since the 1950s and 60s, has really been a mainstay and has saved countless lives. And so we're hopeful patients with crippling bladder pathology would gain similar benefit to patients, for instance, who have kidney failure or heart failure or lung failure. Sure. So how many years has this procedure been into in development leading up to where you are now? Nearly three years. Um, we started in an animal model first, and then we had to transition to other models just to be sure we're going in a proper stepwise fashion. And so we're finally ready for the first one. I'm sure that once bladder transplants become something that can be done on a regular basis, it's only going to be for people who cannot survive with the bladder that they have, so it has to be replaced. But at some point, can it get to where someone like me, who uh, I, I have arguments <laughs> with my bladder from time to time, especially about two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, or yeah. it, I, I am prone to kidney stones, uh, how soon before I can go to you and say, hey, Doc, if you've got a spare bladder lying around, I could use a new one? Yeah. You know, I don't think it'll get there, to be honest with you. I'm a urologist and the treatments we have for people with uh, urinary frequency are pretty excellent. And so the chances that you'll need a bladder, thank God, are very low. But, you know, some patients are not as, as fortunate as you. And so really, we're, we're thinking about those kind of end of the road patients who have no other options uh, or whose options are not so great currently. So how significant is the use of a robot in this surgery? That's one of the highlights I understand about the entire technique. Yeah, you know, we tried both doing it traditionally, like open, and we also tried it with the robot, obviously. We, the robot is absolutely necessary. Um, in order to see down in the deep pelvis uh, and spare those vital blood vessels and structures, you need the precision of the robot in order to spare those structures. Otherwise, it, it, in my experience, it can't be done. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking all about bladder transplants here on KNX In-Depth. That's uh, Dr. Nima Nasiri, a urologic surgeon and a researcher with the Keck School of Medicine at USC. I think about, uh, I, I know every man my age 
understands the joke about, hey, I have arguments with my bladder, especially at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know what I'm talking about. But that happens for women as well. Well, if you drink a lot of water before bedtime, yeah. But sure, it it can happen for women. Fortunately, I don't have an issue. I just try to cut back the water before I go to bed. But um, You know, know, I do that before leaving uh, work. And going home, because I know it's going to be a long commute, I try to make a note that an hour before I leave, I'm not going to drink a big bottle of water, because otherwise, I'm going to be hunting for the off-ramp, and that's not always fun. We're not just asking the kids before we get in the car, hey, did you use the bathroom? Let's do. (laughs) You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman. All right, the last time we had the writer's strike, 15 years ago, there wasn't much other content you could go look at. It was TV and radio or nothing. Maybe some stuff on the web, but, you know, the video quality was not great. Now things are different. There's a lot of content you can find online. Yes, we're talking reality content. I don't know if you've seen them, but Ling and Lam started giving the social media world a look inside of their marriage every day. And boom, they have 7 million followers now between TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all the socials. And guess what, Rob? They're here. They are here live in studio. They're sitting with us right now. You right. Guys, if, if, thank you guys so much for coming in. When you came in, I felt like a little starstruck and a little fangirled out because after watching your videos, I couldn't believe you You guys were sitting here with us right now. But, <laughs> but I, 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 I was reading your background, and it was really crazy how this all started, how, yeah. how you guys started on this journey. Tell yeah. everybody how how it happened and and really and how really seriously you just did not expect this at all yeah yeah definitely well first of all thanks for having us rob and elsa (laughs) it's such a pleasure um it literally was an accident um i had just finished working out i was running to take a shower lamb stopped me and was like hey quickly can i just get you trying you know a dish of mine from back home and i'm like okay hurry up let's just do it and he's like i want to film it okay we went to bed but before we went to bed we posted it and we woke up the next day and we were like oh my god it went viral viral. (laughs) people like this (laughs) yeah that that's the amazing thing how do you predict what's gonna go viral it's just there there seems to be no rhyme or reason to it yeah Uh, have you figured out since then a kind of a thing that helps you go more viral or or do you just need that first thing to go viral and then it's easier to do it after that well that's a very good question, good question. so there is no guarantee that anything can go viral. Even the word viral doesn't even know what will go viral itself, you know. <laughs> but what you can do is, which is one thing that, you know, makes us stand out is from the moment we, we understood our community, when we know that people love our shenanigans, you know, we keep our conversation relatable, you know. So your viralism sometimes just depends on how relatable you know, the content is, you know, like I remember one of our video, uh, I'd never done snow angel before in my life. And she, you know, she was teaching me how to do snow angel. We posted it and it went viral. Right. Now, yeah, you're from Nigeria. I'm so from Nigeria, yes. No snow angel going on. <laughs> no, no snow angel at all. 
<laughs> so you two, I, I mean, I, there's so many videos you have. I, I was looking primarily at your YouTube channel. Uh, you yeah. guys like to play pranks on each other. Oh, yes. Uh, you she, like to, she likes to prank <laughs> me a lot. Uh, and, and they're her- hilarious. I have a, a, like a list of greatest hits. Uh, the, the roach prank where she put uh, fake roaches in the coffee grounds inside mm-hmm. the coffee maker. And, all, and, and then all these things people can relate to, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, when when you guys are mad, when your wife is mad at you, but you sleep together. Yeah. That was hilarious. <laughs> like, don't even try to spoon with me. I mean, that, that video was so funny. You, the chemistry is so good between you two. Thank and you. when I read your backstory about how you met, it, it totally made sense. Tell yeah. everybody how you two met and... And how the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Lamb was filming his first music video in America. Yeah. And um, he was looking for his lead girl. And he happened to know my mother through somebody he was uh, working with for a fundraising event for his prison reform. And um, he had found me somehow through my mom's Facebook or something. She was tagging a bunch of people to come to an event. And he was like, who's that girl? And he saw that, oh, she's related to, you know, my mom. And so he reached out to her and was like, can your daughter be in my music video? And uh, so, yeah, I I finally agreed. And we've just been shooting what's music the videos What's the shit in the music video? <laughs> <laughs> so is, is that music video on your channel? Can people yes. go see it there and yes. see what yes. we're talking about? Yeah. yeah. So it's that's called, called Give, Give Me, Me Love. love. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Aww. So I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break here. But you guys stay in the studio with us. Yeah. And, and let me just point out the reason we had you in the studio today, because we've been talking a lot over the last few months about AI. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure we weren't talking to uh, you know, an AI chatbot. So we figure if we could see you with our own eyes yes. and yes. touch you, we would know oh, yeah. that you're real. So we'll be back with uh, more from uh, Ling and Lamb on KNX In-Depth. And we are continuing our wonderful conversation with social media celebrities Ling and Lamb. If you have not seen them, they showcase their marriage to millions of followers across all the social media platforms. And I would say, just after speaking with you two and watching you two, that you keep it real. It's just your genuine uh, yeah. relationship and yeah. how it plays out every day. <laughs> so, so what's life been like since you've gained these millions of followers and been recognized by YouTube, you know, when you reach milestones <laughs> for the number of followers and yeah. stuff like that? Yeah. What's it been like since this all blew up? It's been a really crazy, surreal experience, mm-hmm. uh, but very humbling we're incredibly thankful, and mostly we're so glad that we've been able to build this community full of really loving people yeah. and people who just want to come to a space to have fun. Yeah. And that's been, like, the best experience, and yeah. knowing that we bring a smile to people's faces who are hurting, going through tough times. That's been amazing. Yeah, and and I'll just add to that by saying, you know, again, when you're in a relationship and you you decide that you want to share your life on social media. You know, there is this fear of, you know, you don't want social media to come between your mar- between us. Like, yeah. you don't want social media to come in between your marriage. So one of the ways that we've been able to, like, take it all in is we see all the success, but we don't let it get to us. Yeah. You know, we we just, we, we and that's why we call our, um, our content experiential. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just documenting our life. Um, having fun, having fun, but most importantly, we have more fun even when we're not even recording. So, like, people are laughing and cracking up, but we're like, that is just us showing you two percent of yeah. our time together. Like, 
we crack up all the time. So many things happen, we don't even remember to turn on the camera to capture. So it is different because as much as the world is enjoying us, we are actually also enjoying each other beyond the world's imagination for real. In real life. In real life. (laughs) And and speaking of uh, laughing, our producer uh, called into the studio during the break and said that your laughter (laughs) is like we should just do a full 30-minute segment of just you laughing and our ratings would go up. So when we're done with the show, let's have you stick around for a while and just laugh. We'll record it and we'll use it later on. She, she even Absolutely. has the craziest Deal. laugh. Deal. Let's do it. You know, Deal. You, you know you, and you, you alluded to something about the state of your marriage. I don't know if you realized it or not, but these pressures now that you have of people either responding positively or negatively to yeah. you sharing your lives can be stressful. So yeah. that says a lot about your marriage that it's probably has to be pretty secure if you're going to open yourself up to the world like this yeah. so you can weather any kind of storm as you're kind of poking fun at some of the things yeah. that yeah. kind of uh, ruffle your feathers in a marriage. Yeah. You know, like, exactly. like one of my favorite videos, uh, you know, when a wife is sick versus when a husband is sick. <laughs> You know, Ling, you're like vacuuming. I'm sorry, I can't back you up, man. Oh my gosh, Rob already revealed the fact that he needs a staff when he's sick. He needs a staff when his wife is sick. I mean, call the ambulance. Yeah, when I'm when I'm sick, I ask my wife, bring me a bucket because I can't make it to the bathroom. But when my wife is sick, I'm like, you're still going by the post office, right? Because I don't have time. Oh, that's so accurate. That's that's sincerely so accurate. And I and again. We cannot <laughs> emphasize enough that for us, the truth is we respect each other. Yeah. We know each other, you know, because a lot of times when people come together, they don't take the time to want to learn each other. You know, we are experiencing each other and we're sharing it with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we have boundaries that even outside of social media, we don't cross certain boundaries, you know, among ourselves. So, we again, we just want to let the world know that, you know, it is possible for you to be in love with each other and share a part of that with the world in a healthy way. Let people know that it is working, you know. Yeah. So, like, we're here and you're telling us about all the videos you've watched. And it's just, it's making us happy yeah, because, sincerely, you know, it's just good to see that the world is truly connecting with, you this know, content, yeah. this ha- content. Have you ever had somebody contact you and say that watching your videos helped their marriage yes oh my god and wow. that's, that's thousands. Like one of the best messages yeah we've wow. received thousands mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i re- like and when i mean thousands i'm saying beyond like twenty thousand, oh, yeah. beyond hundred all platforms yeah so you're yeah. marriage therapist now too <laughs> i really want to share this little part of your backstory really yes. quick but you, you told the story about how you met she was you know contacted her mom and yeah. you know ling became you know in your and your music video and the rest is history but you said to people, your friends, that you knew the minute you met her that she was your wife. You just had a feeling, and you've been together four years yes. now. Yeah. Can I just say, aww. Even before I met her in happy. person, I saw a picture. When I saw a picture, I told my friends with me, I said, this is my wife. And they started laughing. <laughs> you know, my, I remember one of them said... Are you you didn't even say a girlfriend. You didn't even say a girl you want to like hook up with. You're saying wife. I said, <laughs> I feel it. I am telling you this is my wife. I did that once too, but I got in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Most people usually 
Jesus. Jesus. With me, it wasn't. With me, it wasn't cute. It was more like creepy stalker. <laughs> <laughs> and like I say, like, here we are four years in. And, you know, I, I hear people say, when you know, you know. Yeah. Right? And until I experienced it, when I hear people say it, I used to look at them like, what are they saying? Mm-hmm. But when I saw a picture, I just felt peace all over my body. And to date, I still save her number as peace because that was the feeling I received from then. And I never changed her name the way I save a name till date. Yeah. Aww. See, that's another aww. There you go. <laughs> All right. I, guys, I hate to end it there. We're having uh, way too much fun, but, uh, you know, we have to pay the bills. So, uh, <laughs> Ling and Lamb, I want to thank you both for uh, coming in. It, it's just a thank pleasure you. uh, to meet so you. Much. And people should check out your videos if you need some marriage counseling or if you want to have a happy marriage when you see a picture of someone and go, I'm going to marry that person. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to any restraining order. Uh, so check them out. They're on all the social media platforms. And that is going to do it for uh, KNX In-Depth. Uh, Elsa Ramon here with us today. And I'm Rob Archer. We'll see you tomorrow at 1 p.m.